Hello, and welcome to Shattered Lives, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to always make a difference. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening to my my audience, wherever you may be. It is always a pleasure to have you, whether you are a new listener or a repeat listener. And um, I have to tell you, we have another cutting-edge show um, today, and it's um, encompassing a, a national um, human human trafficking uh, awareness month, and uh, we are going to sort of zero in on a particular aspect of human trafficking today with three people, and I think they are um, the the dynamic trio, if I can use that term. And so uh, before we get into the meat of the matter, um, and I'll have my 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 co-host, my PR manager, my friend, the lovely and talented Delilah Jones. Good morning, um, and uh, I I just wanted to say good morning, and also um, we're very excited to to have these guests, aren't we? Yes. Good morning. I'm I'm <laughs> going to forego the chit chat, Donna, because okay. With- as many guests as we have and as much information as everyone um, has to impart, I think we need to just get right on into it. And I'm right. going to introduce the what I call the Texas Trio because they are all three from Texas. And on deck first, we have Rosalind Parker, who is um, the founder, and, a, and I don't know what exactly your title is, Rosalind, but with tra- uh, Travel to Do Good out of Houston, who's actually calling in today from Johannesburg, South Africa. So wow. she is a very active um, in human trafficking within the travel industry. And really, she has such a global impact of giving back and offering help where it's needed through um, through travel possibilities, which I think is, is really, really cool. The next guest we have up is Kim Strom, and she's from um, Spring, Texas. And she is a community activist who's really making a big impact with human trafficking on a local level. And she's also, what I, one thing I just learned, she's a founding member of the Heidi Search Center in San Antonio, Texas. And then my dear friend, client, and long-term <laughs> activist, Dottie Laster. Right? What can I say? Um, she's been around the, the boat for a long, long time fighting um, human trafficking as an activist, an abolitionist. She's an expert in rescue and restoration of victims globally. She's the former director of Heidi Search Center in San Antonio and from New Braunfels, Texas. So welcome aboard, everyone, and let's get this show on the road. Absolutely. Well, thank you for for that good introduction, Delilah. Um, it, it was it was very good. And since you know, I conceived of, of this show um, initially with Roslyn, and we decided that we should um, 
focus in on do more of a laser focus on the on the uh, motel hotel industry and since she interfaces and and her life is impacted so much by travel i think um you know we 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 maybe want to want to start with Rosalind and um you know maybe uh an an overview um Rosalind of the size of the hotel motel industry and um you know did it actually did uh the human trafficking within that industry was it a progression from initial prostitution to to figuring out that you could make money in other ways and how did, how did that go and so can you introduce it from that standpoint, Russ? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it definitely, I think both guests would attest that it definitely is a an area, I don't want to say a breeding ground, but it's an area where a lot of trafficking occurs because oftentimes the women or sometimes men are, there to perform certain acts, sexual acts, um, and that is where a lot of crimes occur. So, mm-hmm. you know, my role in terms of is really just to try to impart some um, knowledge in the hospitality industry because oftentimes people want to turn a blind a blind eye and they want to respond or react after something has happened. And so, I have just really been on a quiet mission to educate and inform within the travel industry as a whole, as well, even more specifically, the hotel, motel industry. And um, also for people who are traveling, whether they're my clients or the um, public at large, to just be aware, to just, you know, as they say, if you see something, say something, be aware of the signs, you know, just don't turn a blind eye to a, a problem that could be occurring. Mm-hmm. What What is the actual uh, uh, general incidence of trafficking going on in that industry? Well, I mean, it's where, you know, oftentimes, you know, these acts occur where the sexual acts occur. So you have, you know, different types of trafficking. And in the hotel, motel industry, um, they could be, transporting individuals from state to state so or you know whether it's locally or state level or internationally so they need to stay at a hotel overnight because they're they're moving moving around and this kind of becomes their temporary housing more or less and then Mm -hmm. oftentimes you know this is where um you know women and men are being forced to perform sexual acts you know in hotel rooms Mm -hmm. so it serves as a place for them to live as they're being moved around because, they, you know, as Dottie will share with you, they do move victims around from place to place to place. Um, sometimes the victims know where they are. Sometimes they don't. And um, it's a way to, you know, kind of stay under the radar, you know, moving mm-hmm. around from place to place. And then, of course, the actual crimes occur there. So right, it is, wow. yeah, it's, and it doesn't necessarily just occur at, you know, some people may think of a seedy hotel, you know, a really seedy place. Um, it, it can occur at any hotel, you know, from a five-star all the way down. And so people have to kind of remove the perception that 
it's going to happen somewhere where I'm not going to stay. So I'm never going to be exposed to that. So therefore I don't have to worry about that. And that's not necessarily true. Well, that's a good thing to know because just because you're in a five-star place doesn't mean. So Dottie Laster, good morning. Um, can you, can you add, uh, elaborate on to the, some of the comments that Rosalind had with regard to your, your past experience? What else would you like to tell us in terms of the, um, you know, the industry in general and maybe some of the inroads that you, you have made in your career with regard to this? Um, yeah, we did a, a TV series with MSNBC, and we filmed at all different um, price points of restaurants, I mean, of, of uh, hotels and motels. And, yeah, it was active in all of them. And what was so sad to me is I thought perhaps we'd have some problems with security as we were calling uh, victims, you know, posing as buyers, having them come to the motel rooms and then, um, actually successfully rescuing a few of them. Um, mm-hmm. But they walked right past motel and hotel security. And, you know, you have to understand when the victims are dropped off by the pimp, their dresses don't cover um, all the way down, you know, to the private areas. They're, they're behind and lower privates are actually exposed or, you know, through very revealing underwear. And, you know, it's very degrading to walk through the lobby and um, no one ever stopped them. And so it was just uh, stunning to me that no one ever, and we were calling, you know, three, four, five in a row and no one ever stopped them. And they walked right past security. We kind of, you know, made that a part of what we were trying to show and uh, no one ever questioned the thing. Well, wouldn't you think that, you know, these pimps would want to have them, blend in and, and look just like any other customer and not be particularly revealing in the public area until they got them behind closed doors? I mean, what what is it that they, I, I don't I don't understand that, that mentality. Don't they want to kind of protect their, what they're doing until they get no, with them privately? No? I think they look at it as every time they're seen in public, they're advertising for the more you know, people to buy them. So no, they don't. Um, they they just don't care about that. In. Not at all. And wow. in one particular case, the the girl was freaked out. You know, because we weren't what she was expecting. Um, you know, we were actually trying to help rather than you know buy sex from her, and she fled before she even got in the room. You know, she just thought this isn't what I expected, and so she didn't have the money from the you know, from the the transaction. The, the transaction. <laughs> so um, the pimp wouldn't pick her up. So, again, she's right out in front of security. It's cold. You know, it's in the winter. She's not dressed at all appropriately, even for the summer, much less the winter. And he just keeps driving by and won't pick her up. Um, so I run downstairs. You know, we had security all over, so I was getting reports and video of what was going on. And I ran downstairs, and she wouldn't take the money from me. She wouldn't speak to me. She wouldn't do anything. And, you know, clearly, this woman's in distress, and she's very young. Um, you know, if she's an adult, it's by, you know, a month. And she's really, you know, a teen, no matter what. And um, he won't pick her up. So I dropped the money in a little open spot in her purse. 
And uh, then I back away, and, of course, he picks her up. And, uh, you know, the sad thing is, alone with no one helping like that, there was nothing we could do. Whereas if maybe security could have intervened and asked why this car kept driving through their property or if she needed help or, you know, if we could have had some community help, perhaps we would have had a chance to save her. So you you, you weren't aware of what, what happened with that particular um, victim after that. You, you did what you could under those dire circumstances, huh? Yeah, my urgent thing was to not cause harm. And if she'd have shown up without the money, once he finally did pick her up, you know, he would have he would have done something. Um, so part of the filming, I made sure that no one ever left without their money, even if, you know, they were there for a second. Um, but the other thing is that um, I did learn later, not about this particular victim, but even a failed attempt at rescue can have a positive outcome. Um, because I learned later from someone I rescued in the next few days that, um, or actually not rescued the next few days, but came in contact with the next few days. Um, she had said earlier in what had happened to her, someone had failed, you know, the rescue attempt. And um, she said actually it was one of the first times she realized that she needed rescuing. And it took about a, another couple of weeks, but she actually did get herself out because that, that person that tried to help her actually had shown her that that she was worth getting out. Right, that like she, so there care. was, there was, yeah, there was a positive aspect, even though you felt like you failed in the mission or somebody felt like that. Um, a couple of things, um, and I don't know who wants to take this question. If somebody is just a regular person staying in a hotel and they see something like that. Should somebody that does not have your expertise, uh, Dottie, Roslyn, Kim, should they try to intercede in some way or should they automatically, you know, call call the local police? I mean, because um, these, these, these guys are, and these women um, that work with them are, are very slick. What, what should we do as the average person if, if no, no one's doing something in in this hotel and you know something isn't right, um, how do we know that the people are also trained? Um, Roz, I wanted to ask you about what kind of training programs in a few minutes and what is it that your your people are being trained about. But what should the average person do if they spot something and feel like they need to do something? What's the best thing for the average Joe or Joanne to do? Like to take I think the best thing, I think, I mean, I think the best thing is that you never intervene because it's a very dangerous situation. That's my opinion. Okay. And um, at that level, directly occurring directly. right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Directly yeah. at that level when it's occurring and that you call um, the hotel and you call 911. I mean, there mm-hmm. is, um, you know, there are, there are numbers, you know, that have, there are departments, uh, you know, with Homeland Security that have people that specialize in human trafficking, but most people don't know those numbers and they're not readily available. So I would say call 911. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, this is Kim. I, Kim, I would hi, not Kim. intervene because you're putting yourself in danger, but you're also putting the victim in grave danger because if she is perceived as a problem, 
the the pimp or the person pushing her out there it is going to cut her loose and we don't know how he's going to cut her loose and keep in mind a lot of these victims are pushed with drugs and they are told that they have no place to go and if they leave this pimp they will uh their family will be hurt or you know that nobody wants them i mean they have already been told all this negative stuff and it's a tape that runs through their head and so they're going to say well you can't help me please just leave me alone but if the pimp sees it you know it could mm-hmm. cause the victim great harm right and i also think the here's i think part and parcel of the problem with uh that is exacerbated in hotels and motels, and that is the fact that, you know, when you see a guy walking down the beach in a Speedo, you turn to your friend and you say, oh, my God, he shouldn't be doing that, but what are you going to do to stop it? Okay, so I think a lot of people who are in the hotel, motel business kind of turn a blind eye to what they see and somewhat chalk it up to, oh, you know, that person is just a little left of center. And and they don't want to get involved. Or or to them it's odd, but, you know, what are they going to do about it? Um, and, you know, the old saying, what goes on behind closed doors? Uh, if it was happening in your in a home in your neighborhood, you would see things on a day-to-day basis that might make you call the police. Whereas if you're in a hotel for, let's say, a 24-hour stay or even less, you know, and you see something odd happening, if you don't click to it, it, you just chalk it up to weird people in a hotel. And and particularly maybe in um, high tourist areas, you know, uh, Myrtle Beach being one of them, places in Florida, you know, any any place that has a high turnover of, of tourists, I would I, I would think that. So, um, Kim, um, I don't know. This might be a a, a good opportunity. Uh, well, let's first ask Rosalind, and then we'll get back. Kim has a very interesting story uh, with regard to how she became involved on a local level, and I think it's a, a really good example. But but Roz, in order to um, the conversation around to what you and your clients, your organization is doing. Can you tell us what is, is it mandatory in every state, region, locality that every hotel motel now have a minimum um, amount of training? And, and what does that look like? And what do they do? If, is it mandated? And if they don't, are there consequences? To my knowledge, there might be one or two states, and and Dottie might know a little bit more about this, that, you know, may have some type of mandate for training. But in Texas and Florida, where if I'm doing any domestic travel programs where, you know, I have – I'm organizing, you know, trips and programs, and people are staying in hotels. In those two states, they do not, and that's where most of my clients are on a domestic level. Um, there, 
you know, their Marriott has a a training program. They have a program for the general public to learn about human trafficking. They have something online, but it's kind of, you know, it's there, I guess, to, um, you know, to say that it's there. I don't know how deep the training goes for the most well, part. A lot of these it, uh, it goes are very, franchise, goes very deep. are franchisees. And so they don't have to adhere to the strict regulations if it's not in their franchise contract. So, well, I mean, I think all of them have to, you know, provide a, a safe environment for their, you know, for their customers and their employees. True. But for the some of the hoteliers that I've spoken to, it's just something that they don't want to admit that it is happening, that, they, you know, they rather respond you know, if it happens, they just don't want to admit that it's happening because they want to think that their hotel is safe and they don't want to raise awareness that it might not be with their employees. So it's kind of crazy. Doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. Well, no information it, it, is out there, but that's what happens. If in you, my experience, if anyway. A red flag is raised, and you're 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 planning on bringing a group somewhere, Roz. Then you're going to say, "I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to." You're going to make your plans with 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 some other facility. Is that is that what you do? Of course, or, of course, right. Of right, course, but, I mean I've never had I've never had that to happen. But of course, I would do that for sure. Yeah. What what is it What is it specifically that you 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 train people on with regard to the hospitality industry utilizing you know the um, hotels and motels? Can you give us like a, a short a short, you know, list of of the kinds of things that that you tell them to be aware of, just so that our listeners can have some a practical aspect of what to be aware of. Yeah, I mean, I guess as far as their staff is concerned, whether it's you know the front desk people or security people, um, the concierge, um, the bell bellmen you know those types of individuals is just to be aware you know of how people are dressed you know that has a lot to do with it um you know if it's a do not disturb sign that's you know in use you know for long long periods of time um you know they don't want any cleaning or anyone going in their room for multiple days um you know if the, the young lady if she looks disheveled if she's with someone and you know she looks seems to be fearful you know minors left in their rooms for long periods of time just anything that's um looks unusual maybe the pimp is reserving multiple rooms you know they're using cash um extended periods of stay they check in but they don't have any luggage or anything um and just you know, just the room, maybe just what's in the room with, you know, all kinds of, um, you know, merchandise, luggage, you know, packages. If, the, if people do get access to the room, just noticing what's there, um, that they're kind of like moving in for a few days at a time, um, something to that effect. So it's mm-hmm. just people just have to be aware and just be mindful. And um, but that, you know, the example that Dottie gave, I mean, that is just really that's really blatant and for the security guard not to have said something you know that's really very sad and i'm sure that happens more times than not yeah it, is there um do do hotels um 
uh, are they allowed their security? I'm, I'm thinking of a parallel being a being a vacation home homeowner uh, landlord. And if you have it rented out to someone, the people that are overseeing it and you have people there for a stay, they are allowed to go in and check on things. Um, do, the, do the hotel staff, is it, is it allowed for them to go in and check on anybody at any time with just a knock on the door? I mean, I, I think, you know, if something is strange or odd, I mean, you know, obviously that might be something they would do. But I think for the most part, you know, people check in and, you know, they want their privacy, even if you think about your traveling and people just, you know, they're left alone. But, you know, if there are some indicators that just things just don't seem right and you just see this pattern that keeps right. occurring, you know, multiple people coming in. Um, you know, there's a do not disturb sign, you know, there's just a pattern, then that's when you want to be a little bit more aware. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess the sad thing, again, is that it's happening, but no one wants to admit that it might be happening, and they don't want to drill down and give their employees additional training. I mean, there's training you can get online with the Blue Campaign. As I said, Marriott has a training program. But unfortunately, I haven't trained a lot of hoteliers because they're just not open to it. But what has happened when well, we've had the training um, with airline ambassadors for the airline industry, um, we, I have reached out to the hotels at the airport because we typically will have the training at the airport. And they're starting to be more open, um, you know, the general managers, you know, the associate managers. So at least it's, it's getting a little bit better, but they're not as proactive as they could be. Mm -hmm. uh Donnie, do you foresee that and at some point in time it will be mandated every state by law that that every motel hotel has to have a minimum amount of training and be you know certified or whatever? Mm, I don't see any efforts going that way. Do you think that would be a good idea? I mean, is that what you would hope? I mean, as part of addressing the problem? Yeah, I think um, one thing that hotels may not know is that these folks move around that are prosecuting other people like locusts. They they come in a group, and they mm -hmm. may only rent one or two rooms, but there may be 15 or 20 of them. Right. And they oh, um, yeah. carry uh -huh. all kinds of crime with them. They're not just doing prostitution. You You always have three things together, guns, drugs, and prostitution. But they also branch out when we were doing the the TV show, um, you know, we had security and cameras all over the parking lot, the hallways, and in the room. And uh, we found that they were also doing carjacking. They were doing um, identity theft. They were doing, um, they actually tried to break into my bodyguard's car. <laughs> we were watching them. It was hysterical. Wow. And um, so they were doing theft of all oh. kinds. Uh, there was also... I believe a room that was associated with them that had been stealing from local uh, department stores. Um, they were bringing all like loads of clothes in with tags and everything on it into the motel room. And I don't know if they were moving the tags or sorting them in there, but you know, the, having that uh -huh. kind of eyes on everything, we saw um, a huge amount of crime, not just the, and they were already in the motel. So what they do is get into a row of motels, kind of camp out in one of them, but they serve all the motels adjacent. 
so literally the first one we called, they got her much sooner than we expected, like within five minutes of uh-huh. the call. So we were, you know, doing a while quicker than a pizza. But the other thing is a pimp was killed in the um, motel adjacent to the one that was upscale that we were operating on of the one next door. A pimp was actually shot while we were filming. So really? you can't just not address it because... Um, it's not. It doesn't stay contained in a room with a John and the the single victim. There's many victims of all different right. kinds of crimes, and so I don't they think have a huge, society a huge criminal it. enterprise going on there, even while where you were. And is is this now? Maybe this is sort of a stereotype. Do they do they travel in vans? Um, do they never use credit cards? Are these pimps? Pimps dressed to the nines with all kinds of jewelry, or what is it? I mean, if you is there a typical look um, in terms of of these variables that people can say, oh, you know that that really doesn't look right. How come they've got a a huge uh, panel van with nothing there? And you know, what, what is it? Is that the way they travel and that the way they look in, in their transactions? They always use cra- uh, cash. Oh, no, they're very easy to find. I mean, just about a week ago, um, um, there was a um, arrest of a, um adult male, not dressed like, you know, not dressed like Huggy Bear on Starsky and Hutch, just, just in, you know, jeans and a T-shirt. He had uh-huh. prosecuted two girls out of a local motel, and we actually rescued one of them, and... Uh, he he just got arrested and he rented the room. You have to have ID to rent the room, so somebody had to put up ID to rent the room. So, um, you know, it's not that hard to catch him. Mm-hmm. It's so sad. It's rare that you see that, but it's not. They're not actually wow. really operating as if there's a lot of risk associated with this. The other thing is they advertise on websites like Page and others, and they'll say, you know, we're serving this area and they'll list an area or street um, of where they're serving. So it's not even like a secret as to whether or not they're in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, what are there differences with regard to um, the, 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 the um, volume of trafficking or how it is approached when you look at a, say a large um, chain hotel versus a motel are there are there differences there, uh, Raz? Raz, or do you want to take that? I'm just wondering, kind of dispel some myths. Uh, are are they all treated the same? It's just another place to stay, or do they look for those things that are places that are out of the way? It sounds like no, not necessarily. Um, they're the same. We filmed There's... in four different price points. Um, I don't know, Cam. Do you have a yeah, well, do you have my personal experience uh is off of an interstate highway that mm-hmm. backs up to my neighborhood. And um it's a franchise, which I don't know if I really should say it's who the hotel is, but it has a number in its name. Anyway, uh let's just say uh they are a lot of times the people that own the franchise operate under the guidelines of the franchise for all who could see it 
but within the inner workings, a lot of times the desk clerks and even the owner are making money on the side by allowing this to happen. My personal experience is with this one motel that um, is a national chain. And when I got involved with it, it, I was shocked to find that there was one floor of a six-floor hotel that was strictly, they said, don't go on the third floor. And I'm like, why wouldn't you go on the third floor? Well, that's where all the bad stuff happens. And what has happened is these people moved in, they paid cash, they would put up a different ID, sometimes their own, but most probably stolen identity, because you just have to show an ID. And the person at the front desk is the one that takes the ID. And if they turn a blind eye to it, then, you know, anybody can rent a room. They don't have to have a credit card. They don't have to pay in advance. They pay one one night at a time. But we found that people were actually staying in those rooms day after day, week after week, and month after month, so much so that uh, there was a situation where they stopped pornography channels within certain motels, and I don't know, maybe Dottie or or Rosalind can speak to that because I'm not real, real versed on that. And so these people would come in here and rent these rooms and call a satellite company and have a satellite installed in their motel room to watch pornography. And the Mm -hmm. owner would just turn a blind eye. And his whole premise was, well, you know, I can't tell these people how to live their lives and I can't stop what they're doing inside closed doors. And, you know, I I charge a price for them to spend a night in a room, and it's none of my business what they do. Well, he's clearly on the take. Kim, Kim this might be a good opportunity to introduce our audience to what you actually did, how you became involved you know, in your neighborhood, what was going on, and what were the bill and on the four corners on your interstate? What yeah, happened well, so that you became motel Yes, on an interstate, and one corner is a Walgreens, one corner is a motel, one corner is a uh, fast food place, and the other corner is a high school. And what was happening uh, was that due to drugs, many kids, and I'm going to use the term kids because they're high schoolers, uh, and it's both male and female. It is not just female. Uh, They would get hooked on drugs or, you know, they'd buy their first marijuana cigarette or whatever, and then, of course, they, they couldn't keep up with, the money in order to buy more drugs and so somebody would say well you know come over at lunchtime and I'll I'll get you some drugs and they'd get them hyped up on drugs and very quickly turn them into uh, a prostitute and it was it really was very uh, the school district turned a blind eye to it and said, oh, we're not a prison. We can't keep these students in 
our building um, because, you know, we're a center of learning. And yet there are state laws that state when a child is on school property in the morning, they are not allowed to leave school property until school lets out unless they are picked up by a parent, signed out by a parent or guardian. Mm-hmm. And yet it was happening. And, you know, the security at the school said, well, you know, we have a lot of things going on in our schools and, you know, this is just not something we can really do anything about. And they turned a blind, blind eye to it. So what so, did you do? Well, I, I got mad. <laughs> I okay. said, you know, damn it, we're not going to, this isn't right. And so through, uh, an, I'm on an app called Nextdoor, which I think is prevalent throughout the United States. Mm-hmm. And my neighborhood Nextdoor people were saying, you know, oh, I saw this today, I saw this today. And so I started researching and finding out what, and how I could make a dent because mm-hmm. I'm only one person. And I right. re- recognize that it, in talking with state representative, the sheriff's department, the in our area it's a constable instead of the police, uh, although they're interchangeable, and uh, discussed ways to possibly hold the hotel manager, the motel owner or manager accountable. And uh, about, I don't know, six days after I started my questioning and calls, uh, a large raid was done on this motel. And I believe they arrested 19 people, and three or four of them were actual sex trafficking victims. And I, I feel like it was somewhat mishandled in that uh, the, six, the sex trafficked victims were given the opportunity to leave the life, per se, but there was no place to put them. You know, if you'll turn on your pimp. There's yeah, no safe haven for them, right? No, there's no safe haven. And and there are probably a handful of safe havens, but I don't know if you all are aware that Houston is extremely high in the ranks of sex trafficking. We're a major metropolitan city, and we have, uh, we're somewhat a melting pot of people. And as a result, there are, uh, there's a lot of bad actors, but there's not a lot of places for the victims to be helped. And, of course, a lot of these victims have been absolutely brainwashed into believing that, you know, their pimp is their god. You can't do anything without talking to me, and nobody else is going to love you like me, and nobody else is going to help you like me. The grooming process, right. Right, and if if you want a pretty dress, you got to stay with me. Your parents don't care about you. Do you see them knocking at the door trying to get you? Yeah, right. I mean, there's all sorts of, sorts of psychological games that these pimps play. And as a result, these victims are stuck in a mindset of, 
I have no place to go, and if you're offering me a place to go, it's going to be like prison. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to have the freedom. Sure, I have to do this for 15 hours a day, but at least I could watch cartoons, you know, or uh, eat whatever I want, and I don't have someone telling me it's time to go to bed, and I don't have to study, and although it's not a great life, no one's telling me what to do other than my 15 or 20-hour work. And most of them are on drugs in order to be able to perform the work that they've been set out to do. Mm-hmm. And so you've got the, the drug part that plays into the mental instability and the psychological damage on top of that. Who knows you know, what happened to them at home that they felt they couldn't talk to their parents or they had to do this or, you know, who knows? But I, I can probably say that the situation that I'm telling you about uh, culminated in our county attorney uh, filing a lawsuit. Now, you can't just file a lawsuit and say, we don't like your hotel, you allow prostitution. It's called a nuisance lawsuit. And as a requirement, you have to have uh, a time period of police calls to a specific location. And in a year's time, I think they had on average of one a day. So in 365 days, they had like 397 calls to this particular property. And, as and you result, have to have that much, Kim, in order for them to pay attention? Well, you know, I don't know. I can do, only Do you know, the, Donnie or, or, or Raz? Is there a certain number where they can say, okay, now we can act? Yeah. I, I imagine if county Go by ahead, county, Donnie. but, um, you know, it's easy to find the number of calls to a uh, call for service to a location. It's a uh, public record. And so, you know, if, if you think or if you see a place like that, you can request the public information, calls for service, you know, calls for police service to an address, and then a community or citizen, much like Kim did, can initiate a um, a process with their county attorney. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think it would be that high, like, you know, at least one a day and you'd have to wait an entire year? No, I think uh, you could show that there's more calls for service to that address than, say, the surrounding addresses. Okay. Um, but the problem you know, so a you lot might kind of average it. Dottie, okay. the problem a lot of times is the specific address to the hotel or motel butts up to several other addresses. And so if you don't have a sharp uh, law enforcement official that recognizes that the victim who has made the call for whatever, for robbery or whatever, is not putting down the address of where the victim has run to, a gas station, a restaurant, uh, you know, an entertainment venue, a shopping center, which butts up to many of these hotels. And so a lot of times the address is where they find the victim, who has most probably tried to escape from the address of the hotel motel. Oh, that's a good point. That yeah, wherever kind of like I was saying, there's all kinds of crime there, not just that one victim. Um, so you'll you'll see the clusters 
But in our case, when we rescued the victim, the police, um, a woman police officer was furious. <laughs> and I was kind of laughing going, yeah, she's going to have to answer for this one. Um, because, uh, oh, my gosh, they were so mad. And it was so awesome to have such a team because she could never could get to me. The police officer couldn't. Um, but, uh, you know, she was yelling at the producers and and uh, screaming and, and trying to find some way to jack us up, um, which, of course, she was unable to. But uh, and the producers were like, well, why is she so upset? And I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. It shows that they're not doing their job on their level, and they have the ability to do more. But a lot of times... Well, actually, she probably was paid to make sure, like you said, to write that address down differently or or to not let that happen. So, yeah, in in the case of the one I'm talking about, our constables uh, have private contracts with a lot of businesses. And so let's say their contract calls for 70-30. 70% of the time they do their job as a constable or a police officer through a whole area. And then they concentrate 30% of the time on these locations. Well, the problem with that is familiarity breeds contempt. And as a result, I'm not saying officers are paid off, but I'm saying that you know, if they're there 30% of the time, they see the comings and goings much better than the general public does, certainly. And do they turn a blind eye, or do they just think it's not that big of a deal, or I'll let this one pass, nobody seems to be getting hurt, da-da-da-da-da. Do I want to do the paperwork? And I'm not blaming law enforcement. I'm truly not. But I'm saying to you and to the general public, law enforcement can only do so much. And if you have an officer that is in a particular area every day, they're going to become numb to the situation. Uh, Ross, what do you have to say about, you know, this thread of conversation? Do you... Does it seem to you, I mean, how how often are these people maybe, is it underperformance of, of people? Is it too many people are on the take and turn the blind eye? Is it a combination of all of these factors? What do you, what do you think? Does anybody have a comment? Well, I think it's a combination. I think, you know, human nature uh, plays a big role in what Mm -hmm. we see, how clearly we see something, how we react, and what we do about it. And in my case, you know, again, I couldn't go to my neighborhood Target without seeing girls with coming up to my car, giving me a card saying, you know, you can find us on back page if you and your husband are interested in. Wow. Can you hear That's me now? Perfect. Can you hear me? Hello? Uh, yeah, I can hear you now. Hi, uh, Ross. Are you there, Ross? Yeah. Okay. So you can hear me because I was trying to talk, and I think I might have had it on mute. No, what oh, I was yeah, yeah, go, to... go ahead. Thank you, Kim. Go ahead, uh, Ross. I was just wondering what you were thinking about this recent thread of conversation we're having. Yeah, I think – 
it's and I'm sure Dottie would agree with this and Kim, is that the hoteliers do not want to impact their revenue stream. Absolutely. So on what uh, at the end of the day, it, it comes down to money. So on one hand, you know, some of them are on the take, or some of them know this is happening, but hey, they're selling hotel rooms. So as long as it's, you know nothing is happening, that that you know, there's that not blood too on bad, my floor. I guess. That yeah, they they just kind of turn a blind eye. And then the other side of it is if they get too many calls, if their staff is proactive, right, and they they make calls then the hotel might get a reputation of, you know, police activity and police coming there, and then that might impact their revenue. So, And then those employees I, might be fired? Yeah, and then there could, right, there could be a negative impact to the employees. So some of the hoteliers that I've spoken to, you know, large properties, you know, nice properties, first of all, they don't think that it's happening there, just like, you know, it's not happening in my my neighborhood. It's happening somewhere else. And they'll deal with it if they have to. And it's almost like they don't want to stir, yeah, they don't want to stir the pot, even just by offering training. That's kind of acknowledging in a way that something might be happening. It sounds crazy, I know, but that's been the response that I've, you know, that hoteliers well, have given me. And Russ, I, how do you change even, you that mindset? That, how do you how do you get the people to come on board for your training and say this is about being a good corporate citizen and this is just for you and we're not we're not putting it out there that we're doing this huge training for you because you're you have this reputation and I know they want to keep it on the lowdown but they don't think about being good corporate citizens in that way and and um, I mean I just don't know it makes sense to me all the knowledge you should have about you know, trying to keep your hotel the safest and the best. Yeah, I think it's just you just have to keep talking about it and having programs like this and raising awareness. And with the airline ambassadors, when we do the training at the airport, we do invite the hotels and we do extend the information and just sharing information online, you know, sharing flyers, inviting people to come along. I mean, Dottie and I have talked about this a number of times. I know it's frustrating for Dottie. She has a lot more experience in this area in terms of, you know, with the things that she's done with the, you know, the the setups where they invite the the women in. But from what I can see, I think it's just a matter of just keep, just keep plugging, just keep doing what we do. We'll have an open up dialogue. And and informing, yeah, and just informing the general public and just keep talking about it and just raising awareness. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't tell you how many people in my neighborhood had no idea that sex trafficking was a thing. Seriously. And you mean it was a business? You mean a thing at all? They had no clue that sex trafficking existed. They thought it was just some guy and his girlfriend prostituting her out to get a few bucks. They mm-hmm. had no idea the length and breadth that the people would go in order to get "quote unquote" new meat, and I'm right. sure Dottie can address that. Right. But well, it's education. It's talking about it. It's not pretending like it doesn't exist. Uh, right. I belong to a couple of women's groups, and every time we meet, somebody will bring up the subject. You know, 
what's going on, how's it going, and another person will pipe in, what are you talking about? And they live in the same area, and they see the same things. Well, let's talk about a little bit about the resident, like this you said was in your neighborhood, in your residence. If these, um, you have particular tourist attractions, and this may be a residential suburban area. Uh, what what goes on, you know, in in your neighborhood? Like I recall that you know there's a big trend to to go and get you know these um, higher middle class college educated um, um, victims too to get them into the life. How, if if these hotels are in these places where there are these mega malls in suburbia as well, what's the what's the differences there versus going to uh, uh, let's just call it a, a Motel Three. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. What? Well, I is, think is that, there a difference? Is there a difference? I think it's you know kind of like a savvy businessman. These pimps kind of come up with the idea that well, I can be a little more cutting edge, and I can do it here. And of course, clients are on every in every walk of life. Right, you know, and so it, it's it's from the boardroom to the slop house. It, you know, prostitution has been around for so long that I I don't know how you can necessarily stop prostitution, but you can certainly shut off avenues to those who run prostitutes, and and part of that has got to be that not here, not in my place. And that's mm-hmm. where I think Rosalind and Dottie both can speak to that. Um, well, yeah, they'll just, they'll just find another area. You know, and unfortunately, they're always trying to stay ahead of the curve. Oh, are there some um, resources, um, Dottie, Roz, Kim, that you, we like I said, we have about five minutes left to the show. What, uh, in terms of if you're traveling, um, if you're going to a hotel motel, uh, what what online resources or numbers can we put out there for our listeners if they wanna wanna have more information, particularly if if they are traveling or if they have seen something in their local neighborhoods? What what can we give them besides this hour podcast? Anyone have some some links or numbers they want to throw out there? Yeah, Blue Campaign has an awareness program. B-L-U-E? Yeah, Blue Campaign, and they have, it's part of Homeland Security, and they have social media, Facebook. You can go online. They have resources. You can print information. So if you have a business, um, you know, they even have posters um, specific to different industries, and um, they have a whole program for the hospitality industry. And you oftentimes will see posters in airports, and they have uh, awareness campaigns in airports and places like that. So there's a lot of information. And if you are giving a presentation, they have a lot of free information that they'll even mail to you, and you can pass out pamphlets and information. And there is, of course, a hotline number as well. And that's geared specifically for the hospitality industry, uh, Ross? No, it's all no? industries. It's for all, you know, it's for um, the general public and all industries. But they really drill down um, for 
transportation and the hotel and travel industry. Oh, that's and they good. have it in, in various languages as well. Wonderful. Well, I think the general public, uh, the, the traveling general public that may be traveling by car, you can, um, there are several websites, and of course my mind is a blank right now, but where you can check out uh, reviews, I think Yelp and a couple of others, about specific locations. And if mm-hmm. you yep. look at those specific reviews, you can get an idea of what's going on or or things that people have seen and maybe not reported to anybody, but their feelings on staying at a particular location. And I think, you know, that, that's real time. That's real people. And... Uh, and it's not hidden. It, I mean, that's the whole thing. It's really not hidden. And so people it's out do there. see it. Yeah, right. it is out there. And you, people need to be educated on what the signs are. And we need to have a clear path of what we can do. One of the things in our area that I'm aware of is that they say to call the non-emergency number of our constable's office. And that the non-emergency number can send out a plain clothes you know, not in a police car, and can kind of walk around hands in their pocket checking it out. And that might prove to be more beneficial in the long run because everybody runs and hides when they see a police car if they're doing something wrong. But if just a normal person walks in, they don't run and hide necessarily. Yeah. That's a good good information. Daddy, do you have any particular resources that you would like to recommend? Um, yeah, if you want to report something that you saw, you can go to iceice.gov, and in the upper right-hand corner, you can email or or call them. Um, you can also, um, um, if you, you know, back to our first question, what can I do? Because I hate to tell people a lot of stuff and then go, you can't do anything. Um, yeah. I think Kim's a perfect example. That you right. actually can do something. Um, you don't need to think it's hopeless or helpless. Um, you can uh, report to the motel security and and you know follow up and and you know what happened. Make sure that that they know that this isn't gonna just go away. You're gonna keep and you're not up. going away, right? If it's right. especially <laughs> if it's your neighborhood, you don't have to move because this is going on. You need to help change things, right? Right, and I can say right. to you that I live in an upper middle class neighborhood. So this is not I'm not talking uh twenty thousand dollar a year uh median income. Right. And and so I'm saying to you this is happening where you are. It, it's right. it's not just a matter of the lower income or the higher echelon right. everywhere. Well, Kim, if someone is listening and they feel like something like that, something illicit is going on in their neighborhood, regardless of what strata they're in, would you um, would you have advice for them or be willing to be a contact? Oh, absolutely. This is what I can I be did. reached by email. Uh, but my whole goal in this is I saw something, I did something. And I'm not going to sit back and let someone else 
tell me it's not important. Right. Or that I can't do anything about it. But if, if they have need guidance, can you, can you tell them how to get in touch with you just to give them a couple pointers of where to get started if they want to do this in their uh, locality? Absolutely. My email address is kstrum, like strum a guitar, yeah. 2148 at AOL.com. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just thinking that, you know, you could be very helpful in terms of getting people started, perhaps. Well, and, I guess and, the biggest point is don't take no for an answer. Right. It, and that applies to many situations. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Roz, you're, you're all over the place internationally doing good things. Is there anything that's coming up um, on the floor right now that you'd like to let people know that you're doing that would apply to, you know, everyone out there listening? I think, you know, um, around this particular topic, I'll stay on topic, is just to, for people to just be open and open their minds um, that this is something that is happening and to, to start where they are. And whether that is learning more about the topic or learning more so you can share more information or if you see something, say something. I just want people to just, you know, um, be aware. take action. Yeah, okay. to be aware and take action in one way or another. Exactly. See something, way, say something, way. do something. Right. Yep. And Daddy, yep. Daddy Laster, I know that you may be starting a different chapter now. Is there any um, particular message you want to leave with people or um, with regard to what what you'll be doing? Well, yes, I've done this trafficking for 15 years, and um, I'm switching gears now and moving into um, live streaming and film. So I've got a great adventure um, that's starting where I'm focusing on uh, storytelling, fictional movies, as well as uh, um, documentaries. So I'm... I'm uh, Got oh, a lot wow. of projects in the works, and then um, also small businesses. Um, in between our big projects, we uh, are making uh, what I call mini docs about uh, people and small businesses. So our company is Live and On Scene. dot com. We're also on Facebook at Live and On Scene, and you know we'd love to tell your story. Um, I uh, I think we all have a story, and uh, we certainly uh, don't need a TV network anywhere to get it out in the public as uh, your show is an example of you can tell your story now so absolutely um, if, if you have any um, documentaries particularly with regard to homicide or missing persons or any of the things that we do let's keep in touch daddy because maybe we can maybe we can feature that as well all of you sure. I so appreciate what you have done um, Delilah do you have some party comments you'd like to say before we have to sign off here? We're, um, I know we're perhaps a couple minutes over, but that's okay. Well, just, you know, I want to thank each of you for taking time yeah. out of your, your day to participate in this us. discussion. And, and thank you for all of the information that you've passed on. Yeah, I, I think it's been very valuable. And please, all of you keep in touch with me. Um, share this podcast and we'll, We'll keep connected and keep a raise, raising awareness because that's what we're about. So thank you, Dottie. Thank you, Roz. Thank you, Kim. Um, thank you for that opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. 
tune in next week to uh, Shattered Lives uh, Live and Safe Podcast. And um, have a good week. Be safe, everyone. Bye-bye.